So welcome everybody to this week's episode of Cure for the Common Actor. I am your host, Christian D. Murray. Um, just want to thank you for tuning in this week and giving us a listen. We really appreciate all the feedback we've gotten so far and, and um, are ex- very excited about our guest today. So we're just going to jump right in. Um, so today's guest is incredibly accomplished um, and has had a career that most actors um, dream about and never actually um, expect that they're ever going to achieve this level of success. And what I found so lovely about doing a show with our guest and watching her work in real time is that none of that, she carries none of that with her. It's all about the work and being collaborative and making sure everyone else feels heard and um, important and listen to and feels like they're a part of the collaborative process you know sometimes you meet these people that you sort of revere and hold up in such high regard and they sort of let you down and this our guest today is not one of those people she's everything you want her to be and more so my guest today is the amazing the incredible miss dana ivy now she is a five-time Tony Award nominee. Is it five times? Six times? Five time nominee. Five time nominee, which is just incredible. She's, you know, her 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 career has spanned multiple decades. Um, she's been involved in some incredible projects. The Color Purple, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, The Addams Family, which I love. <laughs> Home Alone 2. Um, most recently, her film work in The Help. Um, she's done thousands of tv credits i printed out your imdb page and it's just like it's actually 10 pages (laughs) um and is is really just one of those those people that we in the theater community really love and respect and look up to so i just am so excited to welcome our guest today miss dana ivy thank you thank you thank you thank you so much for being here i'm really bad at intros but i hope that that was a good one did you want to add anything that i missed no 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 anything specifically important that I left out or no. that you hold near and dear to your heart. Okay, good. Well, um, I just kind of want to jump in here. And the first thing that I, I really responded to that you sort of you sort of spoke about is this thing that when you reach such, um, such a level of like output, creative output that you put out there um, consistently over years and years and years and years, um, this concept that people think they know you or they associate you with a specific thing when really those are just the characters you play, those are just this is just your job, this is what you do. Right. Can you talk a little bit about what where that comes from and sort of like how that makes you feel and if it ever guides decisions you have made in your career? No, it's never guided a decision I've made. But uh, and I don't know where it comes from and I'm probably more sensitive to it than most other actors, I don't know. I, um, I just feel like it's a job that you do really well. Mm-hmm. And um, I've played multiple characters and ones that get the most screen time, let's say, uh, are the ones that a lot of people identify me with and then they think you're like that. Um, it's like, you know, everybody expects a comedian to be funny, but they're they're often very tragic people. (laughs) So, um, you know, I'm not any of those characters. I carry within me 
a multitude. I have many characters inside of me, mm -hmm. but me, myself, and I am not any one of those on a daily basis. So I think that that um, dichotomy is something that's, uh, maybe it's hard for people who aren't in the business to understand mm -hmm. what they're doing when they label you uh, in such a way or have an expectation of you because of what they've seen you play. Uh, I, I don't, I have a hard time meeting people's expectations, so I guess that's part of the problem, it's just me. Um, <laughs> that's so interesting in terms of when you say you have a multitude of characters within you, which, is there one that you sort of lean on more so in your day-to-day -day life or even in specific instances, like when you have to go to a like networking event in it, with a bunch of actors there. Do you bring out one aspect of yourself, or is it? No, do you like to kind of? No, always... no, no. And I don't think of it that way. I think of the characters in me as really being characters, other people. Sure. And I myself am just operating from whatever, wherever I am on that given day. Um, I'm very well aware that there are sometimes. Sometimes I feel really good, and I can be. <laughs> you know, have be lots of fun to be with and smile and make other people comfortable. Other times I feel like a wallflower and I have trouble communicating. Mm -hmm. And that's just, and I think a lot of people are like that. Um, so I'm just very aware that, uh, you know, the weather of my attitude about being in the world is changeable. Sure, 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 sure. And, and in terms of the, the expectations that you were talking about, um, I'm sure it wasn't always this way, but sort of once you started to embark on this incredible career you've had, the expectations of like constantly um, putting out critically acclaimed like incredible work, the pressure of like you're always so admired and so revered for the work you <laughs> I'm put I'm glad you out. think so. No, but like, <laughs> does, that that, does that ever weigh on you of like, <laughs> wow, well, you know, last time I thought I outdid myself, but then I, I managed to... Does, how does that affect you or impact you? You know, well, uh, of course you want people to like you. Of course you want people to like everything you do and think it's the best thing ever. But... Um, uh, I learned a long time, I'll never forget working the first time I did with George C. Scott when I did Present Laughter, and the fact that he was nervous before the critics came was astounding to me. Um, and I now understand where that came from because he had so much to live up to. I don't feel I have that much to live up to, quite frankly. I don't feel like a star. I don't feel like I'm some kind of icon or anything. And one of the best ways not to be nervous or care about how whatever you do is received is simply to do the work moment mm -hmm. to moment. And that's what I've always endeavored to do is just put myself into the moments. And that keeps me from thinking about how it's going to be received. Uh, obviously, there are times when you get nerves that you just have a really hard time battling. But I just think going back to step one and breathing and exercising and, uh, um, you know, getting into your character uh, in all the ways that one does is the only way to go. And it just stops you from from considering things that um, about other people or the audience or critics or anything, which I don't think is worth considering. Yeah, um, because it it is such a difficult thing because 
so much of the audience eye, I feel like, is also put into how casting directors see us or how you are cast by directors or things that they associate you with. I think that's true, and I think casting directors, some of whom are very good, but casting directors, when I was coming along, weren't as prominent. They have become the barrier between you and getting the job, (laughs) in a way, you know. It used to be mostly just directors Mm -hmm. and, and, and the regional companies that I would, I started out working with. Um, and it's true, casting directors can make or break you, and they do, um, pigeonhole you in a way that they shouldn't. A lot of casting directors are just not that savvy about the theater, quite frankly, or about actors and what they can and cannot do. They come from, I think, more the world of film, even though they may be casting theater. Mm -hmm. And in film, people tend to play personalities more than they play characters, although that, you know, we all know some fabulous characters, but in the film, but in, as a, in a general rule, I think that casting directors, it makes it easy for them to say, oh, you're this kind of person, so I'll call you in for this kind of thing. But it's very hard for them to think about something else you might be able to do. And it's very hard for you to get a chance to show people other parts of yourself. It's a real conundrum. And uh, yeah, to piggyback off of that, and in terms of what you said about pigeonholing, it's so difficult to combat against that. Yes, it is. And you've had a lot of success in you know playing just a diverse, you know, like you said, multitude of characters. I'm wondering if you have any advice for kind of like how does one combat that, or how does one? You know, I don't know except to work with directors who are willing to know you as a person, Mm -hmm. and appreciate the work you do, uh, it always surprises me that I am seen uh, by so many people as a comedic actor when I started out studying Shakespeare and have done a lot of Shakespeare and um, love the Greeks and have done a lot of early, you know, modern drama. But uh, once you do something that allows people to, to... put you in a, some kind of pigeonhole, it seems like it's very hard to get out of that. And the one way to do it is to work with a, a good director who can see that you have other things to bring to the table, I think. Uh, it's very hard to get casting directors to change their mind. It's worth the effort. But <laughs> um, I think the thing to do is just to, to keep yourself open to all the possibilities you have. And when you are given opportunities to work, um, you know, try and find um, ways to let the people in charge, mostly the directors or the people who run theaters, um, see what that is. And that's hard to do just right there. But I don't know how else to do it. And I don't know how you would go about making that happen. Right, you know? exactly. And when, you, when you were sort of starting out, is it was it a something that you always knew that you had this ability to shapeshift and play all these different characters? Or is it somebody, maybe a specific show or a specific director or somebody who helped sort of coax that out of you? And I'm sorry, when I was that? coming along, an actor is an actor. An actor is supposed to be yeah, able to do everything. Right, exactly. I don't know where this pigeonholing came from, but an actor is supposed to do everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the... Luddite sense that I came from, which is that an actor is able to do everything and trains to do everything, is able to do everything, and consequently can be put in any kind of play um, successfully. So um, 
I don't know. I've been, that's the way I came up. So that's the way I've always believed. Well, it is, it is an interesting thing. I think it's different now, but that's the way I was brought up. Of a lot of times they will just cast, um, you know, this is, I'm obviously making a generalization here, but film and TV, sometimes they will just cast the, the, person who just like is this role oh, sure. or like well, that makes acting sense. the role right? exactly and film and tv it's a different thing because you're only asked to do it for those moments when the camera's rolling mm-hmm. it doesn't mean you have to have the skill the craft and the stamina sure. to do it eight times a week and project it out to an audience so exactly. that's a very different kettle of fish and like the believability within tv and film is different than like being yeah. believable in a 3,000 seat exactly. house or sure. whatever. Sure. Exactly. Sure. And do you feel that, I mean, obviously there's still actor training programs and sort of like the people who come out of those have one set of skills and somebody who starts in TV and film has another. But is is do you feel that like there isn't enough emphasis placed on that? And you sort of see a lot of TV and film actors sometimes who go into theater and do a Broadway show and maybe aren't able to be read past the first like three or four rows do you have any sort of I have very strong feelings about that (laughs) I mean uh, because I went through wonderful training program and I do believe that it is essential if you're going to be a a successful stage actor Mm -hmm. if you don't want to be successful don't do this (laughs) or if you want to emphasize film and television you don't need to have the skills and the craft that is involved with being a successful stage animal. Um, but if you do want to do that, you really do need some training. You need to learn to work your instrument, your voice and your body. They need to be completely flexible and at your command, just like any maestro plays an instrument. And being able to play your instrument is essential. There have been a few successful um, movie people who have translated to the stage. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal has done some things yes. lately, and he's not, he's not been too bad. <laughs> but, um, you know, there it's, it is a different skill set, and the smart ones figure that out. Mm-hmm. I mean, Brian Cranston is amazing, yeah. amazing. Um, and I'm sure he knew how to do what he's doing before he became famous on television. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I just think that I just think anybody who really wants to have a decent career in the theater needs to have their skill set uh, working where they can call on it at any time and be completely sure of what they're doing. And I see so many who aren't uh, today, and I'm not sure whether training programs are failing or whether it's um, people don't realize they need to do the work every day you get up and do your vocalizing every day and I'm, I don't mean singing I mean doing voice exercises mm-hmm. and learning diction enunciation and projection uh, so that you the whole point of it is communication whatever the size of the hall and if you can't communicate well there's no point in your being there and people who don't take the time to be able to communicate the words which is the venue by which we communicate are letting us all down. I mean, emotions just aren't enough, and sometimes it's better not to have emotions and say the words clearly and let the audience have the emotions. So that's an old-school way of thinking. Uh, when I went to Lambda in England, the, one of the first things they taught us was let the words do the work. And if you're going to do that, it means you have to have total control over your uh, instrument. 
and you have to know what you're saying and get the words out clearly. And um, so I think that that's something that is not emphasized very much today. <laughs> um, and do you, do you still teach at all? I don't teach on a regular basis. I help people with auditions sometimes. Um, uh, I seem to be better sort of one-on-one working on a text. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done some scene study stuff a long time ago. Um, I wouldn't, I'm not averse to it, but um, I just haven't, I haven't, you know, put a shingle out or anything. Well, it's also tough. Um, I, mean, I mean, I'm sure it was for a while where you're just like working too much. And all well, yes, when I was you. working, I yeah. didn't do it. I've, it's, you can't, I can't fit anything in when I'm working. It's <laughs> all I can do to eat and sleep. So. Um, but yeah, that that's something I did want to emphasize is the amount of, you know, quote unquote, language plays or heightened language plays you've done, including like Shakespeare, but also heightened comedies, things like that. It is so much about the words, A, understanding them, but B, also being able to just serve them up to like a modern audience. And it's right. such a important thing to be able to, like you said, communicate. Um, part of what I want to ask is for someone who isn't working all the time, like you said, you need to be doing it every day. You need to be engaging, whether it be your physical instrument or even just your understanding of text and how you're supposed to communicate that across. What other sort of advice or things that you feel are lacking um, in some of the younger actors, my, myself included, um, that we can address to like face this head on and really make sure that even if we're not in a show every day or on set every day, we're still addressing it and still making it? Well, aside from what I just spoke about, which is, I mean, I used to, when I was young, I, 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 and I was very lucky to study at, at the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Art after getting a theater arts degree at Rollins College. But I learned, I learned technique and skill, technique skills at Lambda. And when I was a young actor, and until probably quite recently, um, I would do vocal exercises every day for at least 10 or 15 minutes, and that was just a basis uh, before I went to the theater, and then I'd do a little more at the theater. I would always do um, body work, mostly stretching, but a lot of stuff that is not yoga, not going to the gym. It's about being in touch with your body, and it's being quietly in touch with your body. So it's not about music. It's about doing the exercise and um, just knowing your body. And I think that's something that um, a lot of people think they're doing by going to the gym or doing yoga. But um, it's a different process to really do it while you're trying to breathe and also make sound and figure out how that all works together, you know. Um, so that's, that's, that's just basic, I think. It's, it's just like learning lines to do a show. You just have to do that in order to be on top of what you're capable of doing when you finally do get a job. Um, and the other side of it is your mind. And what you were saying, uh, I read plays all the time. I read plays all the time when I was young. I went to the theater all the time. I think... Uh, if you want to be in the theater, you should know about dramatic literature, and you should know what's out there and being said and how it's said, and 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 just be aware of what's what what it is 
the idea is, I mean, as an actor, I'm there to serve a play, which was written by a playwright, and it has ideas in it that are encapsulated by the characters in the situation. So I need to start, I need to be familiar with ideas and, and what playwrights are trying to say and how they're trying to say it, therefore understanding how I serve that uh, playwright. So um, I think that I think that we forget that it is dramatic literature and that early theater, you didn't go to see a play, you went to hear a play. So it really is about the words and the ideas that the words are trying to get across to communicate with an audience. Um, and it's it's interesting because Lambda, uh, and I think it's a sort of a British uh, concept to begin with, but this idea of like outside in versus America is very like inside out. One of the reasons I wanted to go there was because when I went to Rollins, of course, we studied a lot of Stanislavski. Sure. And that was the main thing uh, in our acting classes. And I knew there was more to it than that, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to go study in England. Um, Now I believe there are conservatories around the country that also, of course, here that uh, do that, and Juilliard is the most preeminent among them, probably. But, you know, putting consonants on the ends of words is something you have to really think about. And, Mm -hmm. And you have to, you know, I go through my script, and I underline things that I know I have to remember, you know, K's and D's and T's and things that I know are necessary. I mean, you know, consonants create the words. And um, I think I learned from that experience there that it is true that the more um, the more I concentrated on getting the words out correctly, the easier it was to... Uh, allowed the audience to have the understanding they were meant to have, whether it involved an emotion or not. And that, you know, I could be as emotional as hell, but if I'm not speaking the words that the playwright wants to express that emotion in, it's just a big blah. It's not focused. I think we concentrate far too much on emotions here. You know, Stanislavski came along at a time when he was reacting against a very rigid and formalistic style of acting. And so his his insights are something to work against that stuff that we make fun of in melodramas, you know. But now, our whole society is so emotional. We don't think anymore, we're just emotional. And we're very, our emotions are very free, very open. We're just so ready to be angry. Mm-hmm. And anger is the easiest emotion to show. And you know, that we think we're really acting when we're angry. And, um, and you know, when emotions are so easy, they need a cage. They need the cage of words to make them understandable and to make them uh, communicate. And it is kind of like, uh, words are like a scaffolding that you can climb, that can help you create the building of feelings. But the feelings alone are not enough. And they're so accessible. Everybody knows how to feel hurt and (laughs) angry and all the basic emotions. What they don't know how to do is how to put them in a framework that actually gets across to somebody in the back of the house, what that is. Yeah, and sort of like, I think with with Shakespeare, it's much, um, and even a lot of the heightened like comedies that you've worked on. Of, it's all 
incorporate it into like what the character wants and what they're trying to get, how sure. they're trying to communicate. Right. So like that in and of itself is connected to the Stanislavski, like, oh, what do I want? What am I feeling? What are my yes. given circumstances? Yeah. Well, that's very useful. We need to know that. Right. Of course we need to know that. But that's not all there is. Sure. And and that's the trouble is that so many of us just stop there. Yeah. And you know, once you know, you know, of course, you need to know your action and objective. Okay. A, B. Now, what about C and D, which is how you present that to an audience to make it clear and and to communicate with them, to let them understand where you're going. I mean, that's it. It seems to be so ingrown about what do I understand, what do I know? And the other party, the audience, seems to get left out of the equation with a, a lot of what's going on today. Um, You know, you can see even modern plays, and I went to see a a high language play last night, and some of it was very hard to understand. It's not just that the language is a little dense, like Mm -hmm. Shakespeare, it's that people were putting so much emotion into it that you couldn't understand their words. They weren't enunciating their words, and they weren't finishing their words with their consonants. If they would just sit down into their into their bodies, into their voices, and let the words do the work with a sense of urgency, then we'd all be in on the game. But, you know, that's, the, that's what it's all about, is, is creating something for the audience, not just doing it for yourself. Well, it's so interesting, too, because there's so much more control, like what you're talking about, in terms of how you craft a performance and how you are affecting how the audience is seeing it in theater specifically. And I'm wondering, you know, when you go into TV and film and you have like, you come on set, you do the thing, and then somebody it goes through like, somebody edits it. Somebody like, maybe you do, you know, um, recording afterwards to like dub over your lines or whatever. Yeah. When that is sort of the way in which you're communicating well, that's to a, an yeah, audience. Yeah, that's, that's a very different kettle of fish because... Yeah. There's so many people between you and the audience, right. the editor, uh, for one thing, you know, and the ADR person. But, of course, I mean, you, you know, Hitchcock famously showed how you could change a performance, Anything, you know, yeah. by putting uh, one frame between the two frames on either side. It can even make it joyous or horrific. So, uh, you know, you have to be true to whatever you and the director and the mm-hmm. script are doing for a film or television and then let it go. Because you can't, you have nothing else that you can do about it once it's on the, you know, once it's out there, it's once it's in the digitized box or on film or whatever, it's gone, you know. It's- and how do you, because I, I feel like you are so good at being specific and, um, you know, like I said, in control and having that agency, but how do you let go of that and just be like, oh, fine, not necessarily fine, but... <laughs> Um, understanding of whatever ends up in the film, you like, or it's, you have nothing. It's yeah, it's you, nothing you can do. Yeah, you have to learn to let it go. You know, has you, that ever like frustrated you a lot? Oh sure. Or? I mean, I was in a film once when they they called me and said that whole scene has been cut. I had two scenes, and one scene was completely cut. And so you think, you know, you you beat yourself and flagellate yourself for a day, going, God, was I terrible? Was I horrible? Was uh, and it's nothing to do with you. It's just the way they're cutting the film and the timing and the whatever else, you know. Um, so yeah. you have to, you do have to step outside yourself and learn to say they went another way. Uh, you know, that's the thing I learned about not being cast when I was reject. You know, the rejection we all have to deal with. 
and is just to say, well, they went another way. It's not just I was horrible and they didn't like me. <laughs> they went another way. And just, you know, learn to get sort of, I don't know, metaphysical about it, you know. Was there a specific instance or time period in which that really started to settle in for you of like, oh, they went another way. I don't need to. Yeah, I have to this. say, yeah, um, sure. I must must have been in my late 30s, more probably in my 40s before I began to be able to be so sanguine about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it hurts. We're giving ourselves out there, and if you're rejected, you think you're, that you yourself are being rejected. And one of the things also I've learned is that when they call people in for auditions, frequently they've already got somebody in mind. They're just trying to impress whoever, the director, the theater, the whoever with these people so that they can say, yes, we had a big search. And I just stopped going in after a while, saying I don't want to be fodder for their cannons. You know, I just don't want to waste my time uh, because a lot of it is just they're calling up all kinds of people. On the other hand, if you come in, and you have to remember that if they don't already have a star in mind or somebody in mind, they are anxious, they are desperate for somebody to be what they want, mm. to fill their need. So if you come in and you're A1 for them, you're going to be there. You're going to get it. Uh, somebody taught me that, that they're just they're so anxious for you to be good and to be so wonderful that that's what they need and you have solved their problem of casting that part. But it's hard for us to think that way. Yeah, it's... It's so interesting because I'm also interested in this idea like sometimes they don't know what they want until you show true. it to them. Exactly. That right. is true. That's true. And sometimes what seems to be there on paper is actually variable, mm -hmm. uh, even according to the playwright and the director. And so it is a very, it's, it's a very confusing thing. And quite frankly, I tell you, I'm an old lady now. <laughs> I don't, I would not be a young person now trying to get ahead in the theater. Things have changed so much. I mean, with casting people being such gatekeepers um, and and what you just said, the, the, the lack of certainty about things, the lack of clarity about exactly what is wanted um, makes it hard to prepare. And um, it, it does put the onus on you just to be something that sweeps in and takes the world by storm. But how can you do that if you don't know exactly what is wanted? Um, it's very difficult. Yeah. I, um, and I don't know how to get around that. I really don't, unless you just become the best friend with every casting person in town, and they're just they, and you're the first person they call, you know, and you can't do that. So I don't know. It's hard. You feel that you're not seen on your merits, um, yeah. and and that's a terrible feeling to feel. I've got oh, I've got so much. I've got so much to show. I got so much I could do if they'd only see me for that. If they could see that, but who knows what they're looking for and sometimes you feel like they're looking for people that make the best jokes in right. the room or uh you know I do know that people want people who are easy to work with and aren't going to be complaining and asking mm -hmm. questions all the time right. but it's just so that it's a terrible feeling to feel that you're just not being seen on your merits mm -hmm. and um on the other hand, we have to be sh pretty sure what our merits are when we go in the room uh, so that we're not just complaining, you know. In a, right, because it's, it's like how do you 
jam everything you know how exactly. to do into like you know two pages of sides or whatever. right exactly exactly well you can't of course of yeah course. I, I, and, and i've fallen into that trap of like trying to do literally everything or show sides of like everything you can do and force it when really well like, when you've got two pages of sides you just have to do what's required yeah, it doesn't ask for that yeah There's no exactly way. no yeah, I don't know. It's tough. Um, it is tough, and it was never easy, and it's just tougher now, I think, than it ever was. Oh, interesting. So you're saying it doesn't get easier, or like that? No, sort I mean of that the sanguine... whole thing of being an actor, oh, yeah. and especially being a young actor, has never been easy ever. I mean, it's always hard to to get yourself seen for who and what you are. I think as you get older, of course, more people have seen you. You know more people. You become uh, it becomes easier to get work, of course, the, the older you get and the more experience yeah. you have. But when you're young and starting out, it's always been hard to get your foot in the door. Yeah, and sort of, I, I mean, it's it's changed now, but did, would you say really um, latching on to writers or latching on to directors you really like to work with, is that a way to help... Um, beat the gatekeeper like your writers are good writers are good and directors are good i mean it's always good to be in good relationships with writers and directors yeah because the difficulty there is too i have a lot of writer friends or director friends it's like they are they are they have to deal with their own gatekeepers too. of course of course yeah yeah and you know it's that's true across the board for young people in any artistic um endeavor i think um and, and, and one of the ways to, do, to get around that is just simply to work as much as you can. Mm-hmm. And that's very hard when you live in New York and don't want to leave New York or your significant others, whatever, and take jobs mm-hmm. out in the regions or in some kind of podunk place. But the more you work, the more you know yourself and can turn on a dime, and the more comfortable you are with whatever is asked of you, and you never know where you're going to meet somebody who might mm-hmm. be that next leg up. I think working as much as you possibly can and not turning down things because of their being out of town is a really important thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's very hard for people to do that um, if they want to try and stay here in New York. Yeah, because you did a you did a fair amount of regional theater oh, starting gosh, yeah, out with, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, my whole thing when I was young was that I wanted to be part of the regional theater movement, which was just beginning when I was starting out. And yeah, I didn't, can you talk a little bit about that? Because it's, it's, it's completely different now. Oh, obviously. yeah. Well, but. because there are a lot of regional theaters. There were like five when I was starting out, you know, the big ones. And um, But my, I keep using the word Luddow, but my old-fashioned idea was always to be part of a company. That's my understanding of theater. I wanted to be like the Brits. I wanted to be in a company. I wanted to be in a company where you could play a lead one performance and the next night you were playing the maid and where you did repertory and where you did that kind of, that kind of theater was what I always wanted to be a part of. Um, it, it has not successfully happened in my lifetime on in America. We've had a couple of tries at it, but none of them have really stuck to it the way, for instance, the National Theater or the mm-hmm. RSC has. And what about that sort of formula excited you the most? Like why was I think so... that's real acting. Yeah. It means you do everything. You can play every kind of part, and it means you are just 
there to do the work. It's not about being grandiose, being the star every time. Mm-hmm. It means you have a lead one night and you have a walk on the next night. It means you're part of a, a company and we all have to remember too, acting is teamwork. You're only as good as your team. It's, it's, it's not a solitary thing like painting a picture. It's a team, and being part of a fabulous team that works well together is just about, to me, the most exciting thing in the world, whether it's acting or a ball team or, you know, when you play softball or any kind of thing that you do in concert with other people Mm. that requires great understanding among you and great skill among you, it's a thrilling experience. And um, that's all I ever wanted to do is be part of a company. And how do you find the joy and the thrill in that team element, A, when maybe there are collaborators in that team who are hard to work with, or B, maybe the subject matter of the play is not working, or there's, you know, it's it's not enjoyable for you per se, but how do you still find that joy and thrill within it when those obstacles are sort of presented to you. The thing that comes to mind is when I was in a touring company (laughs) that did three plays, Romeo and Juliet, um, Catherine and Petruchio, what am I trying to say, Taming of the Shrew, Shrew, and Lopone. Now I played, (sighs) I had two good parts in Taming of the Shrew and, and Romeo and Juliet, and I played some horrible character in Volpone that was a very small character and that was called like hermaphrodite or something. It was some weird character. (laughs) Anyway, fortunately, there were only, there were very few performances of that Mm -hmm. um, in our schedule. But I realized that every time it was on, I got a terrible headache because I hated it so much and I hated doing it so much. I hated the play or the production. I hated the part. I've never had that experience since. But it told me, (laughs) it told me how much my, uh, my well-being depended on feeling really good about what I was doing. Yeah, yeah, I, I you know, I, I'm... So, sometimes you go through those things of like, oh, this is really pride-swallowing or something that I don't like doing for X, Y, or Z or I don't like working with this person for X, Y, or Z. Um, and it is about... That's when it does feel like it's a job, um, well, and then and saying. then if it's something that, you know, it, it, we can't totally believe in everything we do. I mean, we can't just yes. say everything is just going to win the, you know, going to be the gold ring. Um, and that's when it is up to us to use our craft, mm. our skills. I think craft and skills are, th- are, are just words that are not in our acting vocabulary enough these days. Because that's what you have to use. If your heart's not in it, you still know how to do it and make it work and make it be successful for the audience. We keep forgetting that it's the audience for whom we do this. So it's not just about our feelings. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I'm This sort of just popped in my head, too. I wanted to ask you of... You know, I, I do sense that sort of like the pattern of actors coming up now and a lot of actors who aren't going to training programs and, and trying to learn sort of what you're saying, that the craft and the skill and the discipline or whatever. Would you say that like when you were coming up, your generation, when when they were young and coming up or whatever, was there something about your generation that you feel was lacking or the the, you know, sort of 
older actors were saying that like this is something that needs to be approved upon that um, your generation was sort of lacking. I think I was at the tail end of oh, sure. of yeah. what um, I think everything sort of changed with the me generation, which was. Mm-hmm. After I had already become an adult and started working, yeah. uh, I was sort of at the tail end of the way the classical sort of idea of of approaching theater and getting training worked, I think. And in terms of also what was then the received idea, which was more English, mm-hmm. uh, came from what the, the successful English companies and training programs had created. Um, so I think I was at the at the, the the end of that, and I think that the other actors that I knew all bought into that system and that idea that it required uh, doing it every day. It required incredible discipline. That it inquir- required uh, learning how to do certain actual skills, and um, that. Uh, you know, it wasn't just about having feelings. I think I think it, I think I was at the end of of something that is is kind of missing now. Mm-hmm. That's all. Yeah, um, and in terms of like where you are in your career now, kind it's of over, darling. I don't work anymore. I know, but <laughs> you know, you never know. Um, actually, I saw you in uh, Ocean's Eight. I, I watched that movie for the first time recently. I'll have one day. Yeah. Um, you were fantastic. Um, sort of looking back and, and in terms of whether it be career choices you made or things that you worked on or whatever, was there specific things or elements or, or, or um, things about yourself that you tapped into that you were specifically proud about and then other things that you wish you would have like explored more or given more thought or time or energy into or that you regret maybe maybe not well, that's pursuing. such an interesting question i'm not quite sure how to think about it um i mean we all have regrets of course, of course. i mean i always wanted to play cleopatra i always wanted to play saint joan i always there you know there are parts that have mm-hmm. escaped me that um that uh i had a particular interest and desire to play um so I guess that's the only way I know how to answer that. I mean, there are, there are, of course, parts that I went up for that I didn't get that I wish I had, parts that I've campaigned for that I didn't get, mm. and uh, feel like probably my, my life or my career might have been a little bit different if I had gotten them. Um, but I don't know how else to answer it except to say that. Yeah, um, it's yeah, it's it's always tough. We're talking about regret or things that like. But you know, I'm past that now. I mean, I look back now, um, and I mean, first of all, to be a happy person, you try to emphasize the the optimistic oh, of things, course, of yeah. course. But I look back now and just and 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 know that I would be known as or would have had a different type of career if some of these things that I have just mentioned had, had come about. But um, on the other hand, I look back and realize that I have been so blessed. I have worked on so many wonderful projects with so many wonderful people. I've had terrific experiences. What more can anybody ask for? Um, I always said I don't care about being rich. I just need to be able to pay the rent and buy a pair of shoes once a year. Something, you know, it, it, it's like we have to have our our desires or our goals in some kind of order 
to make sense of what we're trying to, to get at. I, I never made a lot of money, but I had a really good time doing the things that I did and working with the people that I worked with. And that is ultimately the most important thing, I think. And I think that I've been in some really good things, like Driving Miss Daisy, of which I'm inordinately proud, was something that actually I used to, well, I think it's important for us to consider how how what we do can actually help change the world. Now, not all the time, obviously. Right, yeah. But I found I found great uh, happiness in the idea that when people came to see Driving Miss Daisy when I was doing it, many people went home and called their grandparents or their parents or their children after that show because it hit them in a place where they understood how important that was. and. Uh, I felt like that was just the greatest success in the world, that mm. that play actually changed someone's life. They went and did, they created, they did an action because of their experience of that play. They co tried to contact someone. And I just think that if theater can do that, that's the best thing in the world. And that's all I ever really wanted to do was to, to you know, to communicate with the audience in a way that made them feel something about the world or change and that was sort of like going in to becoming an actress to begin with that was sort of your definition of success or sort of what your goal no my definition of success was being a star <laughs> in hollywood of course they're two different things because right, i also right. knew That's... about the lunts and they were great theater mm -hmm. people i came from a i came from a generation that knew about great theater actors and and ralph richardson and john gilgood who also had some film but you know that kind of of, of a career, a real theater career, and I, I really, really wanted that, the theater. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. I mean, did you ever, you know, at a certain point, you, you, you just know that you're going to work. You're always going to, like, find the next thing or whatever. Did you, were there any periods in there where you oh, seriously yeah. thought about stopping oh yes oh yes many times quitting. I've been full of doubt my whole life and because <gasps> it's because it's so, so hard yeah. and it takes so much out of you it's such hard work if you're doing it right I think I mean it looks joyous mm -hmm. and you have to work off the cream of your energy but you know it's it can be psychically hard and it's uh, can be physically hard and um, uh, so there's been many times when I've just felt I can't do it anymore I don't want to do it anymore. I, this is just nuts. And I've thought about trying to, I don't know, I tried to go back to school once and maybe become an arts administrator or something, and I realized I'd have to deal with boards and that wouldn't be interesting, so not for me. But um, <laughs> no, I've, I've had doubts my whole career, and I think, I think the doubts have been good because they've catapulted me when I've gone back to work into... Uh, a renewal of faith and a renewal of acceptance and a you know renewed challenge of doing it well. Um, so there there've been plenty of times when I've I've sort of not wanted to do it or or thought that I wouldn't ever get work again that I really wanted to do. Mm. Um, we all get work that we don't want to do, and it reaches it takes a while before we're able to turn that down. And just, you know, and say, no, I'm only going to do things that I really believe in. 
you, you, you know, do you, that's what, that comes with experience, uh, that, that ability and that, that favor of being able to do that. When you're young, you just have to do it, you have to get out there and do it. Yeah, and that's, that's hard, especially when it's, um, it's so difficult sometimes to get that work. And you, you sort of said that it's, it's very, you know, psychically hard, physically hard on, on you and as it is, as it has been, and I'm sure will be on me, um, sort of in terms of like the personal toll it takes on you, your life, your relationships, do you have any like advice for someone like me or whoever's listening about how to confront that and deal with that and, and make it part of the process I've in run a positive away, Well, way. but I've run away from relationships. I'm <laughs> single. I had several wonderful relationships when I was a young young actress. And I realized that um, at one point I thought, I'm giving myself away too much. I need to, when my last relationship broke up, I'm just going to concentrate on myself for a while and find out who I am and what's going on with me. and mm. And that just turned into a lifetime of work, um, you know, finding out who I am. It's a metaphysical journey. And I probably take all of this so much more to heart than many people that you interview. Um, it's, it's such an interior kind of process and um, that needs an external kind of certainty. And um, I, I don't know, I, I look at people who have found joy in relationships that support them mm. through this difficult work and think how lucky they are. Mm. I mean, uh, I have a cat. The cat doesn't do, isn't very helpful. <laughs> but I'm glad I got a cat. Um, I don't know how people, I don't know how people balance uh, home and work, family and work, relationships and work. I just allowed work to be my be all and end all. Mm. Now, it is true though that all my life I've had great curiosity and, um, about learning about all kinds of things, and I have traveled a lot, and I find I've always found my downtime in learning and uh, traveling and uh, that sort of thing. So, you know, each of us is different. Um, I don't have a place in the country. I don't, there, you know, there, there, there are ways that people deal with, with, with the exhaustingness of, of doing the work, being able to get away having having a, a family that is so completely other than work that kind of thing so i'm not sure how people do that because i i just have a very idiosyncratic way of doing it i guess is there anything you've ever felt as passionate about or drawn to as you have about acting is anything <laughs> in your life sort of i can't think of anything i mean i have several really strong interests. I've been to Egypt several times. I love ancient Egypt and read about it and study about it. I go to lectures about it here what in the a, city. What about that specifically? About Egypt? It's totally other. It's it's about the history, about mm -hmm. the religion uh, of ancient Egypt. And um, it just, uh, I find it um, fascinating. I have a hobby interest in Marie Antoinette and I've read many books about her and, and that whole period of French history from uh, Louis XIV um, through the Revolution is something that really fascinates me, and I read a lot about it. Um, so, and I read all the time. I always have a book, and I read voraciously. I read everything. I love historical fiction, but I also love um, nonfiction and, um, you know, just 
a, a wide variety of, of books on my shelves that still need to be read. So I read a lot, and I think that's where I've gotten a lot of um, the input that I've gotten from from reading for insights into into characters, really. I mean, I feel like reading takes me to, into another world, and I can be another person through the eyes of characters in a book, and that just stretches me. Um, so I guess I've never had a passion quite like the one for acting. That is very, very special. And I look at people now and go, how in the world do they do that? And they have to do it again tonight, if I've been to a matinee. It's like the what it requires is so all-encompassing. And I just go, wow, I can't believe I used to do that. It seems like a, a distant star now. I just, it was another planet. Wow. And in terms of like... A, you don't know if you could do that now, or B, like, it, you can't even remember that version of yourself who was it. It's almost like I can't remember that version of myself, but it, it's, it's acknowledging that how completely obsessive acting is. I mean, it must take you over to do it, you know, must, you, you give everything to it. And, and, and when you're, you, you have to concentrate so thoroughly, uh, your engagement is a hundred percent, and uh, the performing energy that re- that is required is like I think of it as just being something I'd have to, you know, unzip myself and put in a new battery or something. It's just it requires so much, in my estimation, for it to be done well, and uh, I just don't have the energy for it anymore. That kind of stamina to be able just to throw myself heart and soul into something something, yeah yeah it's it's you know you you talk about it in here a little bit but it it involves a lot of amount of like courage uh ultimately at the end of the day like physical emotional um you're putting yourself out there but one thing i i kind of just wanted to we don't have a ton of time left but i wanted to talk to you about um things that scared you about acting or even like looking back on it what was the most scary part about it because you said you 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 tear yourself up a lot inside and I know that I do that a lot Um, a lot of my friends and colleagues do that and I think that's a pretty common thing Um, I wanted to just sort of hear what that was what that is or was like for you and in kind of remedies for for dealing like being friends with that and, and yourself because it's it's something yes. that will never go away ultimately no no, no. and it's so all-encompassing well you know sometimes. it's because it's because <clears throat> i keep getting sort of it's like the psychic part of oneself when you um it's when you manipulate yourself. That's what you're doing as an actor. You're manipulating yourself. You can manipulate your voice and your body, but then you start manipulating your feelings, your emotions, mm-hmm. and your attitudes about things. And when you have to manipulate your feelings into something uh, that isn't present in your, in your current life, it's, it feels like an assault to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like you're hurting yourself, and you are going inside. It's like if you could go through those space things where you put your hand through a shimmering wall to yeah. the other side, and you put your hands into your body and just 
take your guts and your heart and your soul and wring them out and just, it's painful to have to do some of the things we're asked to do. Not everything. A lot of it's fun. But some of the things I've had to do have required, uh, I feel, that kind of of gut-like engagement of use of my guts to make it work and make it real. And that's hard on, it's hard on us. It's hard on us. And it's um, painful and difficult and exhausting. And that's why I like a short run. (laughs) I don't want to have to do it over and over and over again. Um, I feel it takes a toll when, when I do that to myself. Now, some people seem to be able to do that with impunity. And I admire them for it. I just... I guess I get to, in, to, it involves too much of the real me inside, I don't know, but it, 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 it it's like using core values of yourself mm-hmm. in the service of something that is ultimately ephemeral, and it's just, I think it's, it's, it hurts, and it's a little destructive. So I just, I certainly don't want to do that to myself anymore, and not everything has. It's been, it's been just a few projects that have made it the worst but as I as I wrote on my thing it's kind of like it's it's very scary when you do that to yourself and you and you that's why I I start wanting not to do it because I don't want to have to go to that place Mm -hmm. again and again Um, I can feel the toll it's taking and I once described it as um, riding the dragon it's like you're riding a dragon it's like this huge powerful thing, this beast, is what is carrying you through this extraordinary experience. And if you don't hold those reins really tightly, it could run away with you. Um, And so it's like trying to keep a rein on something very, very powerful within yourself and bend it to your will, make it do what you need it to do, even though it takes a tremendous toll. Uh, those are all analogies. I don't know how else to talk about it. Yeah, and, and when you are doing that, you know, that kind of acting where it, it does hurt you and yeah. it's, it takes a toll, what is the one thing that inspires you or like leads you through that to the other side of it? Oh... Well, I don't know if anything does inspire me. I have to kind of take a break before I can be inspired again. <laughs> yeah. I think I became the... Uh, I, I started taking mini vacations when I was working all the time in the theater. It's like I would just stay in bed all day. I would get up and have tea and go back mm-hmm. to bed, and I would yeah. read and I would sleep and read and I would sleep. And I would do that um, a lot because... It was the only way that I felt I could sort of resuscitate myself, you know, and recharge. And um, and after a play was over, I, I, I just let it all go as much as possible. Um, it, it's, it's, everybody has to find their own way to recharge, find out what, what works for them to, to recharge their souls, really. Um, and it's just it's what what's meaningful to you, you know. I love as I say, I love reading because when I if I lie in bed and I'm reading, 
I'm somewhere else. I'm completely out of my life. I'm out of the life of the play. I'm, I'm in the life of whatever I'm reading. And, and that in itself is kind of like a meditation. It just takes you away mm. from all of the, the things that might uh, ultimately you might start thinking about, uh, you know, getting to the theater on time. And what about that moment? How do I fix that moment? And uh, what, is he going to do that again tonight? How am I going to deal with that? And, you know, all the things that your mind can just worry you to death with. Yeah. If I if I read a book somehow I it, it enables me to get away from that. Okay. Well, I, I just want to ask you one more question. Um, that's all we really have time for. Is if you like now could talk to yourself right when you were starting out or right when you got bitten by the acting say, bug. What did I say? I don't even know. I I don't know if I, I thought put you this had on a question. There, but <laughs> what would you tell yourself or what would you say to like 18 year old or when did when did whatever it happened yeah. for you oh well I started I wanted to be an actress from the time I was like six or seven but I went to school and when I started out um you know I I I always thought I was pretty good at it and I knew because I worked at it really hard from mm-hmm. a young age um and but contrarily I would say believe in yourself um, even though I did sort of believe in myself, um, it's just it's a it's believing in yourself and not asking for the moon. I guess taking taking what comes and um, and letting that be enough. I think we live in a world now where everything is hyper, and if you're not a star, you're nothing, or if you're not you know, raking it in, haven't got lots of money, you're nothing. It's like we've forgotten the we've forgotten the wonderful work ethic of just doing something for the sake of doing it really well. And of course I wanted to be a star like anybody, but I think I would have tell, told myself just remember to have that sense of uh, loving the work and doing it and that the work itself is enough. Well, that's sort of like a perfect note to end on. Um, I'm going to say thank you so much for doing this. This has been incredible. Um, This has been Dana Ivey, the legend. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. I can't confirm who our next guest is going to be yet, but um, I just want to say thank you all for tuning in this week and for listening to this incredible conversation I just had. Um, If you want to email us with guest nominations or reaction to um, sort of Dana Ivey's conversation, anything you want me to follow up on, please email us at cureforthecommonactor at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram or all those good things. Um, So thank you again for tuning in this week. This has been Cure for the Common Actor and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye.